Let's open the Word of God this morning back to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Thank you, Jim, for your prayer. James, for your psalm. Thank you, congregation, for singing all hail the power of Jesus' name. We better make sure that the name of Jesus is in our songs often or we've missed the gospel. All hail the power of Jesus' name. John chapter 12. Let me read again at verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. We have three great events listed for us and summarized here in verses 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up, that is the Roman cross, I will draw all men unto me. We open this morning with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, which told us that because Jesus humbled himself to the death of the cross, God had highly exalted him, and the cross is the initiating event that changed the world and brought about the judgment of the world and the casting out of the devil and the drawing of Gentiles to Christ. On April 18th, 1775, the British command in Boston sent Major John Pictern 
with 600 Royal Marines to go to Concord, Massachusetts and confiscate or destroy the munitions that were being accumulated there for the Patriots, the Continental Army. On the way to Concord, they stopped in Lexington, Massachusetts, where 70 very disorganized Minutemen met them in the town square. Someone fired a shot. There was a melee, and there were eight Americans dead and one British soldier slightly wounded. They continued on to Concord, and at the old North Bridge in Concord, they were met by a more organized force. And there were official volleys shot, and several British were killed, three, and two more Americans were killed. And that particular event by the shooting at the Old North Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts, is called The Shot Heard Round the World. Ralph Emerson Waldo wrote a poem about it called Concord Hymn. And here's the first verse. By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Here once the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. This phrase is very dear to Americans that understand and know their history, but it cannot compare to the cry heard from Calvary's cross. It is finished. That cry went into the Holy of Holies of the temple of the living God and tore the temple veil wide open from top to bottom, opening the presence into Jehovah himself. That cry went down into the earth to cause an earthquake and to open graves. That cry went into the centurions and others' minds and observing senses, causing them to confess that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Amen. That cry went into the pages of Bible history because it's in John chapter 19 and verse 30, and it went to the throne of heaven where the angels rejoiced at he who was to be their leader and commander forever. The shot heard round the world is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We Americans have a shot heard round the world that initiated our American Revolution and resulted in our independence. And there is some degree of satisfaction taken in those events. That poor major was shortly to lose his life and is buried in Boston as America won the victory and their independence. But look at what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And the cry from the cross, that was the shot heard round the world. The devil had to hear the words, it is finished. Those in heaven had waited for those words, it is finished. Because he had to pay for their sins of the last 4,000 years. 
And he did. And we get to read it. And we hear it as the shot heard round the world. And we know we should look at it that way with similar words because now is the judgment of this world. He had finished what he referred to in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 30, that would result in his great glory. He'd finished it. His death on the cross paid the elect's sin debt and justified them and bought their adoption. But that is not all it did. His death on the cross did more than save his elect. His death secured him the throne of David to rule over the universe forever and ever. It initiated more events that affected this world and the devil's tyranny over this world. A concussion or shockwave in authority rolled out from Calvary over distance and over time. Think about it. A shockwave proceeded out from Calvary. God shook the heavens and the earth religiously and politically and spiritually with the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a new religious order. Hebrews, I mean, Haggai, the first half of chapter 2. The the shaking of the heavens and the earth. And there was a new world order. Haggai, the second half of chapter 2, as God shook all nations and threw down the throne of all kingdoms. In Haggai 2, and the Apostle Paul tells us that it was fulfilled with the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that in Hebrews chapter 12. The timing, whether by prophecy or fulfillment, was right then with the ministries of John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus Christ. The other events cannot be separated from his death. His death cannot be separated from his burial. His burial should not be separated from his resurrection. His resurrection led to his ascension. His ascension led to his coronation. His coronation at the right hand of God led to the conversion of the Gentiles to make up his kingdom. A kingdom made up of Jews only was pitiful indeed, but his kingdom is from sea to shining sea, as the Bible says it. Any American patriotic song that you have sung with those words stole the words because they're in the Bible and we're on the other side of a sea, brethren, and it has reached even us. And we thank him for that. He was soon crowned and given authority to rule the universe and change the world. And it was because of his death. And today, we get to come to the Lord's table and celebrate his death. And his death was the shot heard round the world. His death was the shout heard round the world. And you ought to thank the Lord of heaven for that. If you don't hold the globe just right, and you locate yourself in the Piedmont of the Carolinas, and then try to find Nazareth of Galilee, you'll have to turn that globe. Because it's quite a distance across the Atlantic and over there to the Middle East to find where Calvary's cross stood and the the cry emanated from it that the work of redemption was finished. Never separate the events. In the Bible you will read about a particular event because the focus may be there for a short passage of Scripture. But you're not supposed to divorce it from all that followed. 
That's why Jesus put them all together. The hour has come that I should be glorified. That's his death. I'm troubled in my spirit because of this hour that's coming. That's only one thing. He wasn't troubled by being crowned. He was troubled by dying. And that's what's there. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, backing all the way up to what was troubling his spirit, will draw all men to me. All those events were set in order by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall lift a cup to the Lord Jesus Christ today and affirm that this is the covenant in his blood, the new covenant in his blood, because there was a new religious order. It was no longer animal blood. It was his blood and a new world order because there was now a new prince of the kings of the earth. It wasn't Satan. It had been Satan. It was now the Lord Jesus Christ. And the palace of that strong man, the devil, had been violated, broken into, and his goods spoiled. You know who his goods were, don't you? You and me. And the stronger man took us away. Do not separate those events. Much is invisible, but that does not take it all away from how incredible it is. So if you want to tell me about invisible, and those are basically the Lord's description of it, I'm going to tell you it's still incredible, though it was invisible. Now we've looked at some verses about its invisibility, but let's look at a few more. Very quickly, look at Luke 17 and verse 20, because you want to remember this. There are those, and I mentioned them last Lord's Day, and we're not going to spend time on them today. Dispensationalists have their first rule of hermeneutics. Everything is to be taken literally. So, when they read in the Old Testament that Israel is going to be regathered and Israel is going to be glorified and all nations shall flow to Jerusalem and David will sit on a throne, all they can think of is that little patch of ground in the Middle East and some temple there that you can see and click on its marble floors and that Jesus, the son of David, will be sitting on some chair there. That's all they can think because their rule is to take it literally. And yet when we read those Old Testament prophecies, the ones dealt with in the New Testament, they are given a spiritual interpretation. Now, when we give something a spiritual interpretation, that doesn't mean that we are discounting the prophecy or relegating it to something inferior. We're relegating it to something superior. The spiritual is always greater than the natural. Both are literal. It's just whether you apply them naturally or spiritually. Luke 17 and verse 20 And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he went on to describe the destruction of Jerusalem and his lightning of the Son of Man in his day coming out of heaven in the effect of the destruction of his enemies. His kingdom is invisible. Go to John chapter 18. These two verses we've been over. 
I believe, twice already, but I don't want you to forget them when we look at a statement like, now is the judgment of this world. It's not something that had to be seen visibly because the greater things were happening in an invisible world, right. a spirit world that's all around us, and the effects were then seen in the natural world. John 18 and verse 36, Jesus is being interviewed, examined by the governor Pilate. He's, he's being asked if he was a king in verse 33. Jesus answered in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. I have a different kind of a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. You're asking me about a natural kingdom. My kingdom isn't like the natural kingdoms that, you're, that you know about and that you're asking about. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not from here. It's not like yours. It's bigger than that. Much bigger than that. Daniel chapter 2 told us that the kingdom of Jesus Christ was compared to a stone cut out of a mountain without hands. Remember, without hands. It was supernatural. It, wasn't, it was divine. It wasn't part of the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel saw the Babylonian and then the Persian, the Greek, and the Roman, but then a stone cut out without hands. This is the invisible kingdom of Jesus Christ that came into this world 2,000 years ago. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, for us to read a descriptive statement of the Lord Jesus Christ's present authority and ruling power. The Apostle Paul is praying in Ephesians 1. His prayer starts in verse 16, that the Ephesians might know this. And we've been to this passage in recent weeks. I want you to know this. This is why we're together today. The power, the exceeding greatness of God's power. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Now we have exceeding great power in verse 19 and working of his mighty power in verse 19. That's powerful power. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ, the mighty power of God and the exceeding greatness of his power was wrought in Christ. What hath God wrought? Balaam said, well, this is what he wrought on this occasion which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Notice, he raised him from the dead is resurrection. Setting him at his own right hand in the heavenly places is his coronation. They didn't take place without an ascension. They're just tied together. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And as I pointed out earlier, that is not redundant to say that all things are under his feet, 
and that he's been appointed head over all things. It's just to get the point communicated to you that he's in charge of everything. But you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it. How do we know it happened? The last thing you want to do is depend on what you can see with your eyeballs. You want to depend on what you can see in God's Word. Because those things are more important. Look at chapter 6 and verse 12. We are dealing right now with verses in the Bible that remind us that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is invisible. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If you can see it, if they have a birth certificate, if they get together anywhere and sit around a table, it's a conspiracy you don't have to worry about. It's little childish games taking place compared to this one. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All four of those descriptive statements have nothing to do with 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or any other place in the world except the air. The high places here are angelic high places. The ranks and authority of the devil and his angels. That's what we wrestle against. And so we take unto ourselves the whole armor of God. We don't join some political grassroots organization to fight government. You've missed the whole battle. Not part of the battle, the whole battle. The battle is spiritual. And so we want to remember that. It's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against. There is another battle. Did you like the words last night in Revelation? Uh, No, I'm going to bring you to them today. Now that I think about what you read last night and what I read. And there was war in heaven. Now that's a war. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought, and the devil and his angels fought. That's a war. That makes Star Wars look like what it is. Child games, and it makes the Revolutionary War look like what it is. Guys in fancy uniforms and ragtag uniforms standing up to see if they could shoot each other with their pop guns. It is nothing compared to Revelation chapter 12. And there was war in heaven because our brother had arrived in heaven. We'll get to that shortly. It's invisible. You couldn't see it. You can't see it. You can't see that he's over these things, and you can't see something that's not flesh and blood, because this little fleshy mucous membrane and muscle here can only see flesh and blood. It can't see what's in the air. Oh, Lord, convince us of these things. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We could turn to so many places, but let's quickly go through some of these. Colossians 1.13. God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. This is the regenerative power of God changing our hearts and putting us in the vital kingdom of Jesus Christ. Nice. Then verse 16 tells us about that Jesus Christ. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, are there visible thrones? You don't have to worry about them. Are there invisible thrones? You better worry about them and trust the Savior 
regarding them, or dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Those visible thrones, dominion, and power were created by Jesus Christ and for him, and so the invisible ones as well. These are the statements of Scripture. This is why we're here. Because we want to understand the the shout heard round the world and the effect of it in the world's system. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The spiritual spiritualizing, call it whatever you want, but if you take an Old Testament prophecy and spiritualize it, you know, and there's so many of them. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. If we want to take it literally, we have to wait for Elijah. And so we say, the great and terrible day of the Lord hasn't come yet. But Jesus said in Matthew 11, Jesus said in Matthew 17, that if you had ears to hear, this is John the Baptist. That's spiritualizing. You're taking the word the words Elijah the prophet and applying them to a spiritual fulfillment, a metaphorical fulfillment, a mystical fulfillment, call it whatever you wish. John the Baptist is Elijah the prophet. Because the angel told Zacharias, your son is going to come in the spirit, the what? The spirit and power of Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet wasn't going to come. When John was asked in John 1, art thou Elias? He said no. But now let me ask you a question. Was he Elias? For to come? Yes, he was. Was the Elias literally taken by a dispensational Zionist hermeneutic? No. No. Was he Elijah the prophet by the hermeneutic that God has taught us? Absolutely, without a doubt. And no other fulfillment for Elijah the prophet. That's an example of why we read the Bible the way we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction... That's anything that can happen in this world. Because what Paul had, we would not call light. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. 70 years is a long time, you think? Paul called it a moment. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, that's visible, but at the things which are not seen, invisible. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we value the spiritual. The shout heard round the world changed things in the spiritual realm that led to effects that were visible in the natural realm. But the greatest of changes were in the spiritual realm. There was war. Thank you, Lord, for showing us these things. Look at 5-7. You're right there. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Don't walk by sight, brethren. Don't worry about what's going on in Washington or Columbia or Greenville. Worry about what's going on in heaven. 
Trust, put your trust in the Lord in heaven right. and what he's doing in the world. That's what counts. We walk by faith, meaning we can't see it, but we believe it because the Bible tells us about it. And the Bible gives us some pretty graphic descriptions of it. Do you know what the glorified Lord Jesus Christ looks like? At least in the picture that he wants you to see? His eyes are like a blue-eyed Anglo-Saxon. Haven't you seen those pictures of the bleeding heart of Jesus? His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burning brass. Oh, yes. His face is white as snow. None of us in here look like that. My pasty pallor is not white as snow. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's beautiful and he's glorified. And we know what he looks like because we're told we don't need to see him. God chose not to show pictures of him because you know what we would do? We'd paint them. We'd have stained glass with them. And so he gave us words to describe himself in the Old Testament. And he didn't want images then. And he gave words to describe him in the New Testament. He doesn't want images now. It's invisible. Look at Romans 14. Romans 14, we're talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus took a throne. 43 days after he died. One week before Pentecost. He took a throne. Romans 14. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right. It's an invisible kingdom. It's in us. It's among us. Just an example. It's not meat. You can see meat. You can taste meat, touch meat, cut meat, fry meat, grill meat. It's not meat and it's not drink. You can drink it, taste it, pour it, flush it. But it's not meat and drink. It's not visible. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is righteousness, peace, and joy. Now you can see the effect of those things, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ is those things being worked out by the power of the same Spirit that moved upon the waters in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 to bring about creation. Right. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost because Jesus the King has given His rules and given his spirit to empower us and comfort us to keep his rules. And that's the kingdom of God. The rules of Jesus Christ over men who have voluntarily, by God changing their hearts and minds, to submit to Jesus Christ as king, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and live righteous, peaceful, joyful, loving lives. It isn't in the Middle East in some block building. It doesn't take two by fours to make it. It's right here. Jesus is king. He's given us rules. We're following his rules of worship right now, and we're reading his constitution. Wait till I give you a description of the king that we have in all of its features. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have evidence of Jesus Christ's kingdom and the shout heard round the world by what we can read in the word of God. Amen. If you seek visible evidence and observable phenomena, you make the same error of the blind Jews and their fables and heretical dispensationalists who demand literal fulfillments 
and a carnal earthly kingdom to satisfy their worldly thinking. Instead, think spiritually. It is superior. It lasts longer. It's greater. If you can see it, it ain't nothing. Lord, help us. Spiritual is greater than natural. Literal can be spiritual or natural, but spiritual trumps. The kingdom of Jesus Christ had everything to be a kingdom. Now, I'm going to read a list, and you're going to get tired. But I ask you to listen. The kingdom of Jesus Christ has everything that makes a kingdom. A king. Think Bible. A throne. Citizens. Authority. A religion. An army. Ambassadors. Victory. Relationship of king to people. A constitution or law. Famous leaders. Foundation stones. Territory. Possessions. Duration. Identification and distinction. Promises. Benefits. Requirements. Internal rule. External power. Judicial branches. Executive branches. Legislative branches. All in the word of God about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When did he take his throne? After his ascension into heaven. When were the early stages of it preached in the world? By the ministries of John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus Christ. It developed in stages. Matthew 28 and verse 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Did they go right then to teach all nations? No, not right then. Not right then. They went shortly. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus said just before he ascended into heaven, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he had it. And it was going to be more officially and formally declared. And he said, go ye therefore and teach. Now, did they go in Acts 2 to other nations? Not yet. Did they go in Acts 8 when they went to Samaria? Not yet. Did they go in Acts 10 when Peter went to Cornelius? Oh, now we're getting hotter. Did they go in 13 when the elders at the church in Antioch of Syria were praying and fasting And God said, separate me, Saul and Barnabas, and send them to the Gentiles. Then we we get the full fulfillment because Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, wait for power that I'm going to give you. Remember, all power is mine, Matthew 28, Acts 1. Wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. After that ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Acts 8, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 13. So remember, as you read the Bible, remember that it developed in stages. It's like when you read about the death and you don't read about the ascension, you wonder, well, where's the ascension fit in? You're supposed to fit it in by reading the whole counsel of God and understanding it. And when you read about all powers given unto me, he hadn't exercised all that power yet. And he hasn't exercised all that power yet. He is going to exercise that power in a day yet to come 
when he crushes all his enemies rather than restrains them and casts them all into the lake of fire. That's yet coming. So we want to see it in stages. We want to understand what judgment is. Now is the judgment of this world. I'm trying to wrap this thing up today by summarizing some of the things that we've been over, and I have done a whole other outline instead of the one that I was drowning in because it had too much information. So I'm trying to summarize it. And you'll find out that my summary is too long as well. But the, now is the judgment of this world has two parts to it, a declaration of judgment and an execution of judgment. Right. There was punishment executed on the devil himself. And there was a declaration of judgment because the apostles went everywhere saying, Repent! God put up with your ignorance in the past. He winked at it no more. Because he has appointed a day in which he's going to send Jesus Christ to judge you. Remember relative and not absolute statements of the word of God like what I just used. All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore. But he hadn't exercised it yet. All men will be brought to me because I'm going to be lifted up on a Roman cross. That's a relative statement. All kinds of men. Gentiles. Because Gentiles are the one in context that came to Philip and said we would see Jesus. So we want to see that the difference between absolute and relative. And it started small but grew to be very large. Jesus compared his kingdom in the beginning to a grain of mustard seed. Jesus compared his kingdom in the beginning to a little bit of leaven, and you don't want too much leaven, in three measures of meal. Just a small amount, but it permeated the whole. And that little mustard seed grew into a tree that all the fowls of the air could come and nest in its branches. It filled the earth because the stone in Daniel 2, cut out without hands, hit the image in its feet, broke the world kingdoms into pieces, and grew until it Filled the whole earth. And here we are on the other side of the earth. And we had a visitor with us last Lord's Day. And we have a visitor that has decided to stay from the other side of the earth. We'll still call her a visitor for a little while longer. But we'll remedy that soon. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 27 and look at some of the changes that took place in the world. That, and I'm not, these are not in order. These are not in time order, and these are not in order of importance. I just want to put them out there so that we, we don't try to tell the Lord which one is more, greater than others. But these are the things that happened with the death of Jesus Christ. We know that the shout heard around the world is his death. And it is finished. Because the Bible leads all up to that. We, we, you can see that in John 12, 20 through 33. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45. What perfect timing to have the Lord's Supper today. Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. Now that, in a sense, is a judgment of the world and its features to have sunlight during the daytime, but from 12 to 3, there was darkness over the whole earth because the judgment of the world was commencing, and this was just a little tiny token of it. This is before he said, it is finished. Something drastic is going on because the centurion 
observing these things, concludes in just a few hours, truly, this man was the Son of God. And so God is glorifying Jesus Christ by shutting the glories of the sun in while Jesus hung there. There is glory being given and glory being withdrawn. However you want to see it, we look at it and glory in the fact that God did something so great while his son was hanging naked on a cross. But we just want to look at everything that we can find in our Bibles that can be brought to the death of Jesus Christ and affecting the world and its system. And here, I'm not even dealing with the political system, I'm dealing with its natural laws. One was overridden. We're going to have some more overridden shortly. One was overridden. It was dark over the whole earth. Look at verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, it is finished, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Sixty feet tall, four inches thick, put in place by a team of horses. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. See, even though separated by three days, they're tied together here as an event. The graves were opened on one day, and it was three days later. The residual power of our Lord's resurrection should thrill you. Our military has to call it collateral damage. We can call it collateral benefits or residual benefits or, or whatever term you would like to use for it. But when Jesus rose from the dead, you had buried someone last month, okay? You buried Grandpa last month. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you go to the door, and there's Grandpa. Now that's a change in this world. Right. And that's the residual power of the resurrection. Poor guy had to die twice. Or somehow get back into the grave, but he didn't care. His spirit had already seen glory. He could go through anything on earth. And you know what? If we, saw, if we see a glimpse of glory in the Bible, we can handle whatever the earth has to offer us. That's why the Apostle Paul could do it. Amen. There's no other verse in the Bible that tells us about this event. We don't need any other verse. Right. I believe this event as much as I believe Genesis 1.1. Mm-hmm. And, and I just get thrilled reading it and just looking at it. And the graves were opened. That's when he died, showing that he wasn't going to be in the grave very long. That a door or a stone or a seal by the Roman governor on that stone was not going to keep him. So when he died, the graves opened. Mm-hmm. Does that excite you? Amen. What a Lord. What a king. What a victor. The world's truest religion was ended by the tearing of the temple veil. The truest religion the world had ever had was the religion of the Old Covenant. 1,500 years from Moses to John the Baptist and Christ. And it ended because it was all about that veil. No one could get into the presence of God without all this animal blood. Even the high priest could only go in there once a year and only then with particular animal blood after giving giving a marathoner a scapegoat 
to take 26 miles or so out into the wilderness so that that goat would be lost. Ended. Because Jesus died on the cross and cried, it is finished. A great earthquake occurred. The rocks were rent and opened the graves. The sin debt of God's elect was paid, both Jews and Gentiles, both on earth and in heaven. And God says about that event, I will make peace in this place. Zerubbabel, you're worried about this little foundation you've put in the ground for the second temple. You're worried because you don't have any gold or silver. Don't worry about it. The glory of this second house will have greater glory than the first house or the former house. And in this place, I will make peace. That's Haggai, the first half of chapter 2. Satan's claim against men was overthrown by Jesus defeating death. Look at Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. We're going to get more into this next Lord's Day with verse with 31b. And I can't change verses yet. 31b. Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's you and me, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus had our flesh and blood nature that through death, it's death, it's the cross, it is finished. The shout heard round the world that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Right. The devil's claim against us was instituted by God but applied to us by the devil because we fulfilled the condition to all be put under a condemnation or sentence of death. But the Lord Jesus Christ destroyed death and delivered us from the power of the devil because we were no longer under that absolute claim of death because he'd paid the sin debt and taken death on and rose from death. And so he's able to deliver us from death. 1 John 3 is not too far away. I just want you to see a second witness on this point. 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now that tells you right there what you ought to do between now and the time your head hits a pillow tonight as to what kingdom you're part of. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. But see, you can't see the works of the devil being destroyed. You've got to read it that Jesus was buried and Jesus rose again and conquered death and the devil had us under the bondage of death. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2 because I missed a verse there that's important when we think about the world. It's verse 15. It's the next verse. Jesus took on our nature of flesh and blood. He died to destroy the power of death that the devil had over us. Verse 15, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now you're seeing some things. This message is going to be communicated to the whole world. Where people had lived in the fear of death and were subject to the rules of priests telling them to do all kinds of things. And it exists to this day to a lesser, far lesser degree Back then, it was universal. Today, it's just some nations, jihadists. You know, if you'll die for Allah or Muhammad, and it's through fear of death that they'll do anything. And, and through that fear of death, they're told that if you'll do this for Allah or Muhammad, you can have your 72 palm trees and virgins in heaven. 
Roman Catholics will spend an inordinate amount of money, widows will, to buy their husband's soul out of purgatory and into heaven. The kamikaze pilots of World War II of the Japanese would sacrifice their lives for their emperor in the hope of eternal life. Men as rulers and men as priests have been able to get other men to do all kinds of things because of the fear of death. But when Jesus died, he delivered men from the fear of death. And so a gospel of life could be preached in the world. Death and the fear of death used to make slaves of men. And they were both destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took his throne in a new kingdom to reign over the universe, including this world. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. As soon as I finish with this chapter, you get to have your break. It's only 17 verses long and there's not very much interesting material in it. It should be one of your favorite chapters in the Bible. It's a summation. It is a summation of everything from the first coming of Jesus Christ to us right now. I'm going to read a verse and say very little about it and read the next verse. Or we'll be having a fasting and prayer service without calling for one. And I, I don't, I just want you, this is a beautiful passage. Amen. <clears throat> but if we, you just ask the Lord to keep showing us things, and we've known this chapter because it's a summation. This is like going into Daniel and finding one of Daniel's summations. This chapter can almost be summarized by two verses in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, where Daniel gets an extra little vision about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days and being brought before him. These are the angels bringing Jesus before the Ancient of Days and a kingdom is given to him. It doesn't get much better than those two verses. But here we go. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. This is the church of God. This is the church of God starting with the Old Testament, made up of twelve tribes and so forth. Glorious church. A woman in the church, a chaste woman, a virgin woman in the, in, the, in the Bible is the church of God. A whore church, or a prostitute, or a harlot church are false churches. Verse 2, and she, that is the woman, the woman's a symbolic figure for the church, being with child, waiting for the virgin to bear in, in that church. Because it had been prophesied from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman's going to bruise your head as early as Genesis 3.15. So the church is waiting for the fulfillment to, to come to be, into being. She being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, waiting for that birth of the Messiah. Verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. This is two things at the same time, and as you read down through it, it's going to pop back and forth. This is the Roman Empire, because this is the same beast that is in Daniel chapter 7 with the ten horns. The nations of the common market of Europe. This is the Roman Empire. And the crowns are on the heads, meaning the forms of government of the Roman Empire. 
The crowns are going to move from the heads to the horns when it is the papal government of Rome. The crowns will move. As you progress, the crowns are going to be taken off the heads and put on the horns. It's, and this dragon is called the serpent. So at times, it is the, you're, you're supposed to see the Roman Empire, and at times you're supposed to see the serpent, the devil, Satan himself, behind the Roman Empire. Verse 4, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. These are the angels. And did cast them to the earth. And the dragon, the Roman Empire, stood before the woman. The devil stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. That is the church, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, did Herod issue a decree shortly thereafter to kill all the babies? Yes. Ready to devour it. The, the Roman Empire with the devil motivating it. Verse 5, and she brought forth a man child. Is Jesus called the holy child Jesus in Acts chapter 4? Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Any problems with that verse? Is that Psalm 2 and verse 8 being fulfilled? She, the church of God, brought forth through the womb of the Virgin Mary, of course, a man-child who was to rule all nations. Who was to rule all nations? A singular male, the Lord Jesus Christ, with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. There's his ascension to the right hand of God. This is not hard, but there's these symbols in it, but we're told enough here that we are not confused by the woman. And the woman, the church is still on earth. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. These are the forests of Bohemia. This is North Africa. This is Wales in western England, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. This is one thousand two hundred and three score prophetic days or years that we now call the Dark Ages when the papal power of Rome ruled Europe and persecuted the saints of God, as Daniel 7 described, and as other chapters in the book of Revelation will describe. But so we've jumped all the way into the 1260 years of the Dark Ages. Do you understand that right now? In the six verses, we have run from the church bringing forth Jesus to the woman being preserved for 42 months, or 1,200 and. 60 days or three and a half years of prophetic days, because now we're going to jump back. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Now you see, Rome didn't have angels. The dragon had angels. Who is the dragon? It's the serpent. Who's the serpent? It's the devil. And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, and we're told specifically Rome wasn't cast out of heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Heaven wasn't big enough for the devil and his angels and the Lord Jesus Christ and his angels. Right. It is so simple. There were changes being made that were drastic and huge and great. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
Satan could accuse Job. In Job chapter 1, Satan could accuse Joshua the high priest in Zechariah chapter 3. Satan cannot accuse anymore because what shall he lay to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And they, that is the brethren, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ died for them, and they were delivered from the fear of death. They did not care what the devil was going to do to them. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And brethren, we're going to celebrate the word of their testimony today. Jesus is the Son of God. Because remember what God had said in Hebrews chapter 1? Unto none of the angels did he ever give a name like that. And when Jesus was born, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. The testimony of the gospel is Jesus is the Son of God, and they love not their lives unto the death. Isn't that wonderful? Look at the effect that it had on men. Galilean fishermen overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, and those following them, and by the word of their testimony, they knew that Jesus was the Son of God, seated on the throne of glory, and would deliver them. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea! For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. That's one plus two plus a half is three and a half. Three and a half times a 360-day year of a Jewish calendar is 1,260 from the face of the serpent. Now notice, what we've done is one through six, we traced the church from, the, from it wanting to see God's fulfillment of a man-child to being in the wilderness. Now we've backed up and started with the spiritual war in heaven, not on earth where the church was, and we've made our way all the way back forward again. Do you see that? That we're now with the woman in the wilderness again for the same period of time. You say, but it didn't say 1,203 score. I know. It said time, times, and half a time. Can you work on that one for a while? Time and times and half a time. Do you know what it's going to do in the next chapter? It's going to call it 42 months. You say, why does the Lord do that? First grade should be enough to get you to 1,260 equals three and a half years times three. Do they do that nowadays in first grade? Equals 42 months? It's the dark ages. Rome Rome controlled Europe for 1,260 years. Verse 15, And a serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Persecution, false doctrine, trying to destroy the church. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. They got far enough away to preserve their physical lives, and they were preserved from false doctrine. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Who do you think you are? We are the remnant of her seed. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And there's two qualifying descriptions here, which keep the commandments of God 
and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Christ of Israel, and the coming King. He is the risen, reigning, and returning Lord of the universe. He's the blessed and only potentate, and we're not afraid of any serpent or government and what they might do against us, and we keep the commandments of God. And we are the remnant of her seed. And so then it goes back in chapter 13 and backs up again and looks at that Roman beast from a different angle. If you'll notice in verse 1 of 13, you're going to find the crowns on the horns. So you know it's the degeneration of the Roman Empire into the papal Rome. There was pagan Rome, then there was papal Rome. It appeared that pagan Rome had died, but pagan Rome came back to life as papal Rome. And that's the, a beast is an empire. It appeared that the beast had a mortal wound. When the Visigoths overthrew the pagan Roman Empire in 476 A.D., but then up out of those ruins came the Holy Roman Empire that lasted until whatever events you want to pick, whether it's Napoleon taking the Pope captive out of Rome and putting him in a prison in France in 1798, or it's Garibaldi marching through the streets of the Vatican area in 1870, there are, that's really unimportant. You don't even have to have a start or a finish. And that's what causes so, many, so much confusion. All you've got to know is, was there a period of time of approximately 1260 years in which the Church of Rome made war against the saints of the Most High and prevailed? It's prevailed, because that's what's in Daniel chapter 7. Anyway, there we are. That's Revelation chapter 12. Now, now what do you think about the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, a man, a man child caught up into heaven. And there was war in heaven. And I hope that you can see in this chapter, we ran it for six verses to the woman in the wilderness, church in the wilderness, started over again from heaven's viewpoint, ran it to the woman in the wilderness, and it ends with us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.